Hey guys, it's Morgan here. I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. Today, I'm joined by Josiah Keneally, my husband right here. Josiah, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. <clears throat> I was just in the sun this afternoon for some FaceTime calls, and amidst coronavirus, the sun is out, the sun is shining, and it's 51 degrees here, which in the sun feels warm. I'm loving life. The problem is he's probably just experiencing a vitamin D overdose. So he might be extremely high strung during this. But I know that you um, have made connections with our amazing guest today, Josiah. And would you be willing to do the honors of introducing who that is to our listeners today? Yeah, I'm really excited that our guest said yes. And here's the deal. In response to millennials being labeled non-committal, lazy, entitled slacktivists grant skeldon our guest started initiative network with the goal to unite and train young leaders to be christ-loving city changing church investing and disciple making local missionaries so cool and the initiative network has united and accelerated some of the most diverse and dynamic next-gen leaders from across the country to collaboratively transform their cities together. So he's written for the Wall Street Journal, Relevant Magazine, The Gospel Coalition, and we're really excited about his book called The Passion Generation, which has helped thousands of pastors, parents, Mm -hmm. and business leaders trying to reach, raise, and retain the next gen. Grant serves on the board of Catalyst, as well as is an associate um, for Leadership Network and Exponential. So he's credible. He's an author. Really glad you said yes, Grant. Welcome. Thanks for being with us on the show today. Yeah, thank y'all for having me. You are awesome. Well, Grant, we don't want to waste your time, and we want to dive in and pick your brain for ourselves and for the listeners. So, Grant, can you just kick us off right away by sharing your story, and then we'll dive into a deeper conversation? Yeah, yeah. So I did not uh, grow up too much in church. My mom was kind of a believer, but my, me and my brothers um, and my dad were not. And so um, just all the boys in the house, there's three of us, I'm the oldest. And then my dad just kind of would go with the flow, but it was so evident we did not want to be in church, go to church. Um, yeah, it's, just, and it's always hard for moms when they don't have the spiritual leadership in the home of the father. And, and especially when that kind of bled into us boys not really taking it that seriously either. And so uh, all that to say, I had a, just a really radical transformation in the sense that uh, I had like the worst week of my life lead to becoming like the best year of my life, which was uh, I, at the time at 16, got went through a breakup with a girl of three years. Um, she had actually cheated on me and it just like broke me mm-hmm. as well as a couple days after that, I got kicked off the basketball team which those two things, that relationship of three years in high school and basketball was just like my identity, my, sure. what gave me validation. Um, if you would have said, who am I? I would say like, I'm a basketball player. Uh, if you would have like said, where did I spend most of my time? It would have been with this chick or playing basketball. And that's where in what people knew me for. And so to lose that, I didn't realize how much we wrap our identity in things that are transient or are not eternal until that. And so it wasn't really a God experience as much as, a month later, I, after searching and really fig- trying to figure out who am I without these things, um, I go to church for the first time by myself. It was a youth ministry, and wow. it was uh, in Dallas, which is where I'm from. And 
very first time, March 8, 2006, I, I hear the gospel. I hear a testimony of someone that gave their life for something other than God. And was kind of in a similar situation where it felt so empty. And I was like, man, what, it, what, like, I don't want to keep finding something else if it's just going to end up being empty and wasting years of my life. And I don't want to be with someone who's going to betray me. And as of right now, it seems like God has always been there. And I knew God was real. And I always thought I would become a Christian. I just thought later in life. And so um, I was just like, God's always been there. He's never left me. He's still with me right now. I'm just going to choose him. And they actually, the funny part was they played a song by Switchfoot. Um, this is your life. Is this who you want to be? And that like, <laughs> I don't know, at the time, that was like the perfect song and the perfect question. This is your life. Is this who you want to be? And uh, is it everything you always kind of imagined it would be? I think it's a lyric. And I broke down and gave my life to Christ. And some really big things happened immediately after that. One, I got discipled by the youth pastor of the church two weeks after I got saved. So he took me and he said, hey, I see the school you go to. I'd love to pour into you. I'd love to disciple you. And I'd love to utilize you as a missionary to your school because I've always tried to reach your school, but it's really been difficult. And the youth ministry had 600 kids. And so just high school kids. And so it was a big youth uh, ministry in the city of Dallas. And he just kind of was like, but this school that you go to is pretty rough. It's been difficult to reach, but if I pour into you, will you pour into your school? It was such a great start to my walk because it was like, this isn't just for you. This is for others as well. And that's been a theme for the rest of my Christian walk because I early learned, hey, it's not just to consume. It's also to like, it's to go through you into whatever facet of culture you're in and the people you're around. And then, so another big thing was when I was 19, so this is three years later, I got asked to be a board member for a nonprofit because they wanted a young board member. Wow. And it made me like really grow up quickly. Wow. As I remember the next week, I went to Barnes and Noble and thought, man, if I'm going to be a board member with all these older people, I need to like read books on leadership. Huh. And so I went to Barnes and Noble and I asked the person, you know, in like the circle, the desk in the very center, and they like know where, how, where to find the books. I just asked them, what book is the most like popular leadership book like of all time? <laughs> and I don't what book do you think they would say? Maybe we each get the guess, right? How yeah, many yeah, people yeah. is this though? Okay. Oh man. I'll pick. This was, so this was within the last five years. It was, uh, so that's would have been 10 years ago. And now I just said, what's, the, and I don't, I wouldn't know any books. I just said, yeah, what's like the best leadership book everyone of all time? Like they would say this is, if there is a book like that. Leadership for dummies. No, <laughs> just kidding. Leadership for dummies. <laughs> I'll pick, I'll pick Seven Habits for Highly Effective People Ooh. by Stephen Covey. Yeah, the Covey book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they said how to win friends and influence Ooh, people. That was Dale the book Carnegie. they said. That's um, my favorite one. Have you, yeah, Dale Carnegie. And, and it made sense when I read it. She, she was like, this lady was like, this book's been around for since the 30s. And it's still one of the biggest books. I was like, wow, this book's from the 30s? Yeah. So I, I, I read it. But you're right. I would have said like John Maxwell, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Stephen, Stephen Covey. I could see this one. Um, but And then she, she said, good, great. And then tipping point. Those are like which to this day are like staple books um, for me. But it really, what was big about that was learning how to read, um, just wanting to read and how to, having a reason to lead, read and um, falling in love with like older people too. Because I think reading that book, I just started liking even guys like Charles Spurgeon or George Mueller or C.T. Studd. Like to this day, I still prefer older dead people that, books have lasted over time because it means it's like timeless what they're saying is probably going to yeah. matter 300 years from now rather than even my own book i say this in my book that 
lot of the books today are about church growth. But back then, you don't see any books about like how to grow your church. It's more about like how to have a personal de devotion, like relationship with the Lord, which will lead to personal growth in your life and in your church. And so anyway, those are some big parts of my story. Leading that nonprofit was huge. It gave me a lot of experience. And so when initiatives started, a lot of people don't know is I had already been a board member and very active in a nonprofit for five years. So when initiative started, I knew, I knew, I knew nonprofit world way more than the average 24 year old because I'd done it for like five years. That's amazing. What a journey. What a story. I learned a lot of new things about you. <clears throat> and what's yeah. out to me, Grant, is you had somebody, this youth pastor believed in you and like discipled yeah. you. He invested in you. But day one, it sounds like there was a challenge. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to invest in you. Will you do the same for others? And yeah. we'll talk more about that. I know in the in interview because you talk about it in your book, but Passion Generation, can you just start off by just, you wrote this book, who is the Passion Generation and what have you learned about them recently? Uh, that's a good question. Passion Generation, for me in the book, I'm referring mostly to millennials when I'm talking about, or I would, do, I would just say 20 somethings because when I'm really thinking of uh, this generation, when I'm talking to, when people think of young people or millennials, they're thinking usually like young singles or like hipsters yeah. or yeah. Uh, they're not usually thinking like technically a millennial could be 38 years old at this point. And they're not, that's not what people think of when they think of millennials. Like it could be someone with kids. And um, I'm not saying that those are still literally millennials, but when people think millennials, they tend to think like the young single kid that's on his phone all the time, that's on Tinder, that's like <laughs> organic or wearing skinny jeans, like all those stereotypes, like moving job to job, like hasn't graduated college and lives with their parents, like all these, like those stereotypes. Um, and so I'm more trying to talk about that age because um, I do know there's, there are millennial adults with kids and there are young singles. And those two stages though are very different parts of life. Um, I, what I've learned two things I would say is, um, I am not married, but what I found, I heard Matt Chandler once say this, is that the left lane of a sanctification in life is marriage, is what he said. Um, basically, marriage is the left lane to sanctification because uh, you have to start considering someone other than yourself. And if that is true, then I would assume having kids is like, it's kind of the, the HIV <laughs> Yeah, it is like the fastest lane of all lanes, of all like left lanes there ever was because at least in a marriage, it's supposed to be a little bit of give and take. I mean, for the male, I, I, I always learned or heard that we're supposed to sacrifice more. Like we are, we are serving our wives. Um, but when you're serving your, but you're hoping to receive something in return, a little bit, a little bit of love. When it's a kid, I mean, my brothers have kids and just being around them, I'm like, you cannot expect, I will not do this and you treat me well. Like I will not, like if you expect someone equal, you are going to be let down so bad. And so, um, all that to say is I think that what I'm learning is and interested and concerned about is our generation is not that different than every generation before us when it comes to being young. Like every generation has always been known for some of these uh, adjectives when they're a young single in their 20s. Uh, boomers, Xers, you could read a lot of articles that talked about boomers and Xers the same way they talk about us today. But what is different is we are getting married later and we are having kids later. And so like I'm 30 and not married, um, then that means that I 
in our generation, not all, but most, have gone longer considering self than generations in the past, like years longer, maybe even a decade longer. And so when we do get married and when we do have kids, um, it's like, dang, I'm really losing something because I've gotten in a rhythm of like, it used to be, we had your parents, they had told you what you had to do and they allowed you to do certain things. And then you had that short time between your parents and then getting married and having kids. That is just getting like way longer now. And so I'm interested to see what happens with, um, yeah, how we respond to having to consider others and having to live and serve and not get what we're used to. Not to mention something that has changed in our generation. It's also, life has also been built around not only our generation, but technology. It's like how fast. I, I three, four weeks ago, ordered something on Amazon in the morning. I didn't know you could get something the same day. I knew you could get it the next day, but I didn't know if you ordered it at like nine, you could potentially get it at 2 p.m. or 1 p.m. And I was just like, that's crazy um, that the world has also then advanced in being built around what do you want and how fast can you get it? And um, how do you even want tweaked? And so uh, that's a lot of like, the world is about me that our generation has been allowed to believe and receive for more and longer than any generation before us. And so uh, that's a little bit counter cultural to the message of take up your cross and die daily. And so that, that is uh, what I'm, I'm interested to see how, how that works out with this generation. I think that's phenomenal to take a peek. You, you guys are about to have a kid. So it's like, uh, how do y'all receive this? Get ready. Get ready, that's right. <laughs> well, there was one significant woman in my life and she had shared, she said, if you want to um, become selfless, get married. If you want to learn how to become more Christ-like, have children. And now I'm just like, we've <laughs> been married for almost what is it, three years yeah. um, in the end of June. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like Josiah, I'm like, where do we need to die to self in the next five and a half weeks <laughs> to understand? But I think like even you talking about your, um, your nephews, I believe you said, was the fact that when you're young, all you expect is to get, to get yeah. and to receive and like, give it to me. Yep. Yeah. Now uh, you just take it all in. And then when you are the parent flip side, it's like, okay, I've been anticipating a lot of dying to self <laughs> um, in, in a new yeah. light and in a new way. But yeah, Grant, I can definitely relate to you. Uh, I didn't get, I didn't get married till I was 30. So I'm 33 right now. And just, um, I definitely agree with what you said. Like there's, there's that almost like falling behind, like, oh, I'm 27 and I'm single. Like, am I falling behind? Like, then you have older people, the church that you look up to being like, what's wrong with you? You're too picky. You're all these different things. So I just want to encourage the listener. And I don't know if this is for you, Grant, as well. But if you are 30 and single, know that, you know, God is there and he has something planned for you and it will be worth the wait. And it's not going to be like your Amazon order, like a mail order bride's not going to be there by 2 p.m., you know, like... <laughs> enjoy yeah, the process yeah. of what God wants to do in the sanctification of singleness truly before that. So, um, I know that you said that you're not necessarily a parent, obviously, but we do know that God has given you divine wisdom. So Grant, I have a question for you and it's about what advice do you have for the parents raising a millennial, or maybe you want to say a 20 something, um, for the pastor yeah. reaching that age group, but also the business leader, retaining the millennial or somebody yeah. in their 20s what do you have to say about that yeah i would say um 
I mean, for all three of those, but especially the parent and the business leader, they have the biggest, um, actually even the pastor, because especially in what's going on today is, um, I think that we have babied millennials so much and now we're like so critical of them when they have become adults that are used to being babied. Like, um, and I think that I don't want to point the blame to because because we've received it. Like, I always point to the participation trophy thing because that's always been like a big thing associated with the next generation. For sure. And I've always thought that's such the weirdest thing that people don't do the math that like we were children when we were given those participation trophies and we never demanded them. We never put a committee together when we were five or eight years old on the <laughs> soccer field and said, we, we are actually, we have a petition uh, that we want trophies for everyone. Like you guys gave it to us. You guys designed the plan. I don't know like who came up with it in the, our parents' generation, but they are the ones who came up with it. And then they dissed us. I, and I always joke, if I could go back in time, I would have never taken it and said, no, you guys like are going to make fun of us for our whole life. Yeah, it's such a disservice. However, we did receive it. And I would say, yeah, who wouldn't like receive, like if you're going to let us move in with you and not pay rent, and if you're going to pay for college, you're going to pay our phone bill, if you're like, who wants to pay for more things? Like no one in any generations, like if, if, if boomers would said, Hey, do you want to pay taxes or do you not? Like, would they say, yes, they want to, like, no one wants to pay for things if they, if someone else will pay for it for them. And so that's just human nature. And so I would say, again, we did receive it and it's not helpful, but like all I have to say is we can't, we can't baby them, or what I say in the book is you can't coddle them as parents and then criticize them as bosses. Uh-huh. Um, but That's all great. of those groups are, um, I think you're not gonna, you're doing a, more of a disservice to baby them. And so for the church, I would say you're not losing them because you asked them to do too much. You're losing them because you asked them to do too little. I would say for the marketplace, you can't just, um, you can't just now criticize them. You have to coach them. And so um, the difference between crit- criticism and coaching is is not like you're lowering the bar by any means. I mean, the, some of the best coaches, uh, even like I, Luke was on, he, he's kind of heard me talk about this a lot. And he's pointing this out with like college coaches. Uh, they always attract the best players with the best work ethic. He was talking yeah. about like football coaches. There, there are really, really incredible high school athletes they will say no to scholarships to certain grade schools because they get to go to this one school that's with this coach. And so it kind of shows that even though that coach loses those players every four years, three years, because they go to NFL, um, he continues to galvanize some of the best players because he has a culture around coaching and a great coaching quality. And so, uh, but they're not known for like, oh, this coach is going to baby you. It's like this coach is going to challenge you and bring out the best in you. And it's going to be really, really difficult, but you're going to win championships. You're going to grow as a leader. You're going to get set up for a better uh, position in the NFL, potentially. And so, like, it's it's not a lowering of the bar, but it is a – it's also not just criticizing. It's not like this guy's just going to shout at you, make fun of you, and diss you, and you're going to get better. No, that no one gets better by that. Right. Um, and so, uh, and again, it's, it's, it is hiring the bar. It's not lowering the bar, but it's not criticizing. Um, and for parents, lastly, I'd say – the because i do think it's if we were to blame for some of the faults most of the faults um it's just that posture of parenting and i i do want to give grace that of course parents want to i think especially our generation's parents 
they had a generation that like where they did get a disservice was they had a generation of parents like our grandparents are the generation that act like the world was so difficult and they were the strongest generation ever they literally called themselves the greatest generation ever if we're me-centric like how do you call yourself the greatest generation ever like of all time like we don't even know what's coming but we are yeah (laughs) and so all that to say is these guys are like the we walked three miles to go to school uphill in the snow every day especially where y'all live and so like that, that generation grew up with the their our parents generation I think in that whole like rub some dirt on it and get over it, grow up. It was hard for us. It's going to be hard for you. I think our parents' generation decided, you know what? I'm going to swing the pendulum over here and kind of be kinder to my kids. But they went maybe a little too far. It's like maybe babied us. And so all that to say, last quick thing that I've seen that is very helpful for parents is I I do think, um, I know I joke about the babying and the participation trophy thing, but it does have spiritual replication. repercussions because um if for all of us if we were to think of our most intimate dependent hungry seasons for the lord um they tend to be hard seasons and they tend to be difficult seasons they tend to be seasons the seasons when we like we wake up and we go to the lord and we're in the scriptures we we look at seasons where we journaled a lot more we look at seasons where we were just more broken and honest with people and said i just i need help or we're willing to go to counseling or willing to join a steps group or willing to just I don't know. It was like, it was hard, but it was like something was being created within us and we were walking with God. Those seasons tend to be difficult seasons. And if we save our kids from those seasons, like, no, I'm not going to let you fail, or I'm not going to let those bills add up, or I'm not going to let you, like any, you can come live with me, or I know you've made this decision and with your job and they let you go, but it's okay. I'll pay for this. Like if we save them from every consequence from decisions that young people make, they never have to go through a season of relying on the Lord. And what I say is you could actually be saving them from the Savior when you save them from these situations. Because um, sometimes we do need to go through the seasons where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, for God is with us. Yeah. Um, but I joke that parents uh, will usually say, like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for the, uh, my mom is with me. And, and her purse and her second chances, they comfort me. So you don't want kids to say that to their, to, instead of saying, Hey, the Lord, the Lord saved me Mm -hmm. in that season, walked with me. It was just like, Oh, I got nothing to worry about in this Valley. My mom, my mom will pay for it. My mom will fix it. Wow. I think that leads us, you know, perfectly into talking about discipleship for a second, because what's interesting is Grant, when you and I met, we were at a like one day seminar kind of on preaching or I thought it was on preaching. It was with Robbie Gowdy, great expository preacher. And then he kind of flipped the script and talked the whole time about discipleship, which was awesome. Yeah, he did. He was refreshing to me. And it just helped me ever since then. I've just been asking myself the question, what is discipleship? And what does it mean to do life together? And it leads me to something that Andy Stanley says on his leadership podcast, that if you publicly advocate for it gives you the right to privately criticize or critique. Mm. And it goes back to what you were just saying. Like, I do think that part of, especially for pastors listening, for leaders listening, like if you're on the pulpit on Sunday morning, you get up and you're preaching and you throw a generation under the bus, that's public criticism. That's a Mm -hmm. public critique in the pulpit that God's entrusted you to. 
And instead, if you're publicly advocating for the next generation, then when you are in a discipleship relationship, then when you are one-on-one, it gives you the, the leverage, the right to speak into somebody and like Micah says, to call them out mm-hmm. on their garbage, but to call them up in love. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I just think that that's really important. So talking about discipleship, why do you feel like, Grant, there's such a disconnect in discipleship right now, globally, like worldwide, especially in, in America? And then what does it mean to be discipled? Yeah, uh, I think why there is such a problem is maybe what we perceive discipleship to be. And like I said, today in the coronavirus is kind of even more of a picture of, I think this truth, uh, in my opinion, is that uh, we we consider, uh, in my opinion, the church broadly considers information transfer as, or memorization, um, or like to know something means you have grown. Um, as long as you have the knowledge, like mm-hmm. even, Hey, reading through the Bible in a year, um, that, I guess it all comes down to like, is, does growth come from reading it? Does it come from memorizing it? Or does it come from doing it and living it? Um, because like, especially living it, cause I would say the difference between doing it and living it is like doing it is like, I did it. Living it is like, it's a part of like who I am, mm-hmm. like working yeah. out, like how many of us know it or or heard it, um, or, hey, I, I, I tried it, um, but it's like, do you live, is it a part of, like, your, your routine, and, like, you couldn't live without it, because it's, like, in you now, and so, um, what all that say is, I do think, if we think it's just about, like, hearing it, and learning it a little bit, maybe even memorizing it, then um, there's a lot of people that know a lot of stuff, but have never done it, or are doing it on a regular basis, or that it's in them, and so, for example, I do think that we build church around speaking in events um it's like almost always advertising hey come listen to this guy speak or listen to this person speak it while church historically was not just someone talking um it was a people group it was a group of people that it was always yeah it was never one person it was never an event it's never sunday but um i what i say in the book is that mentorship is come and meet with me um, so it's like having a one-on-one meeting, um, and that's good. You could like go to Starbucks. You could talk about life. You could talk about the Bible. You could talk about confessing certain things going on in your life. Um, so come and meet with me as mentorship, but discipleship isn't come and meet with me. It's come and follow me. However, I think most churches aren't saying come and meet with me or come and follow me. They're just saying come and listen to me. And wow. so um, think about the coronavirus right now. Is ha- if that wasn't their strategy then they wouldn't struggle that much. But churches are struggling so much because we built church around come and listen to me. But now they can't come and listen to you. And so we've really had to pivot now. And they still think come and listen to me. So it's like, so now you can listen to me online. Um, It's not like, hey, are you making disciples? Like actually, even this phrase, I hate the phrase church is canceled. Like you don't have the right to cancel. You couldn't even if you tried cancel church. (laughs) Unless you really think church is Sunday morning in your message. It's not like, um, and so again, why I think young people leave the church is they can tell. I don't think they will put this into their language, but I think no one wants to just show up to hear someone speak in a generation that wants to go out and change the world and be a part of something bigger than themselves. So I think um, trying to figure out how do we change growth in a church from how many people come and listen to me to 
how many people can disciple others and especially disciple themselves. Because if we built the church around discipleship, we wouldn't be worried as much right now. Like, man, what are our people going to do? Like how it's like, we have, have we trained our people to feed themselves or are we worried? Cause they're like, dang, they, they, they can't come listen to me or they're so dependent on me that I got to find some other way that they can still hear me. Uh, is, instead of like, heaven forbid, we lived in a country where you can't have a public gathering and publicize it, which there is, our country is like that. Or in the AD yeah. church, you think they were like, come and listen to me? That's literally the opposite of what they can do in the AD church. Like, wow. they couldn't even advertise their church. And so it's like, we're the so opposite of what that was like. But they still were the church. The church wasn't canceled back then. It was thriving, actually. It was growing because it was built around disciple making and not just preaching. And so um, that's 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 part of, I think, the problem is we put way more emphasis on good communicators than good disciple makers. And that's always going to kind of stifle us and limit us. Right. <clears throat> I think it's a great illustration. Grant, while you're talking, I'm just thinking of like, there's head knowledge and there's heart knowledge, but there's like the application process. There's the value, the values that we adopt throughout growth in our relationship with Christ. And <clears throat> I think that's just a great reminder that you know, I think as a leader, if I don't show up, will the show go on? If I'm supposed to be yeah, preaching and teaching, will the people still gather? If I'm, you know, the worship pastor, do they know the songs or am I, the, or am I, are they depending on me 100% and I haven't equipped them to critical think, to use common sense, to hear from the spirit, um, to be fruitful in the ministry and the position that God has given them. So I think of even just hearing you talk about like discipleship and growth, I think the question is, is there fruit and is it evident? Because that's how we're going to have to measure discipleship. Are they able to multiply? Are they able to, you know, hear the voice of God and take people where they've never gone? So there's so many different layers to the question that we just asked you. And we know that um, Grant, you obviously hear from God that he's just doing some awesome things and has done amazing things throughout your life and your story, like we heard at the beginning. But Grant, what is God speaking to you lately? And what are you dreaming about and praying for currently? Do you want to share with our audience? Dreaming about lately. Um, this is random, but I, I would love to be a part of like um, two things. I, I do have a heart for introducing new voices into at least the american church um i'd like to introduce more uh, minority voices like latino and asian uh, especially asian um i'm mexican and i feel like god's giving a big passion for the asian voice because we are starting to consider like black voices a lot more um and then usually there's a lot of racial racial reconciliation panels lately so it's usually a white guy a black guy maybe a mexican guy but we rarely bring in the Asian person because like it usually is like white or black thing. Then the Mexicans were like, some of us were like, hey, don't forget we're also in this country. And then Asians, they're just like to themselves, like y'all do whatever you want. Um, but like, think about this. Who are the top 10 like Asian voices in America if you couldn't name Francis Chan? Like who's He's the, the second most prominent <laughs> Asian voice? Huh? I, I just think of one because he was the guy yeah. that discipled me. Our, our yeah. friend, just my friend, like our best friend, uh, but that's who I think of. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a passion right now is like, there should be like 
dozens of, of voices from, I mean, it's not like Asian people are a small percentage of our globe, like the revillians. Um, it's tons of them. And so like uh, just more minority voices and more female voices um, as I'm doing more gatherings for high caliber young leaders from across the country. Um, whenever I want to bring in like a mentor speaker among the next, among uh, four young leaders that's like nationally known as a female, I'm like, dang, there's like always these eight voices. That's my only options. And if all eight are taken, which they usually are, that's all there really kind of is that are like prominently nationally known voices. And so, um, and I'd love to create, to just be an advocate and door opener for new voices that the, the next generation of voices would look more diverse than the current one. And then second, it's really random, but is um, I'd love to help with church replanting. There's a lot of church planting networks I think it'd be cool if there was like church replanting networks. Um, I think over the next 10 years, there's going to be a lot of dying churches that have solid buildings, maybe even solid budgets. They just don't have people showing up that are young. And I'd love to get more young people to consider instead of starting your own church, what if you joined a dying church and brought your young momentum to that church? And then you already had a building, you had a budget and you had older people and wiser people. Now you can get young people and young people are so non-committal they'll leave and come join your church. And so like, while older people don't do that, older people stay uh, for a long time, even when it's like small and dying. And so um, you always see church plants that have all the passion and all the young people and all the hipsters, but they don't have any old people there. Mm -hmm. It's like the opposite problem is all the old people are there. Now you just get the transient young people to join as well. Right. Those those are some really fun, fresh thoughts. And I, I pray that your creativity and just how you create and recreate like you've been created. I pray that speaks to people that they start dreaming new dreams, that they start questioning the status quo, that we no longer settle as young adult leaders for what's always been done or the the challenges that we're even amidst right now, but to think differently and to dream Mm -hmm. new dreams and to just have, uh, you know, even to go to Barnes and Noble and and read new books Mm -hmm. or to ask like, hey, How can I grow outside of the normal things that I always watch, that I always listen to, that I always read? So just an openness to the new. And speaking of new, we have five thoughts in five minutes that we like to close the show with. So the timer's on and you get five minutes, Grant. The last five minutes of the podcast, you just answer these kind of rapidly. We'll just kind of go boom, boom, boom. And I'll kick us off with one. Question one is, what trends do you see in your travels happening across the landscape of young adult ministry in a local church? Trends, uh, collaboration. I would say collaboration is a big one. Uh, luckily, I once got to meet, uh, it's five minutes. I would just say we don't have, this next generation, fortunately, doesn't have the luxury of division as much as generations before us. Uh, wherever you see a crisis, you'll see people let go of their walls and barriers. They'll work together. You see a hurricane happen, people aren't like, wait, you're a prosperity gospel guy and you're a, a you're Episcopalian and you're like Baptist and we don't care. We all will pitch in, work, send volunteers to go help these people because they need it. Like um, wherever there's great mission, there's less tension and division. And so uh, there's really great mission in the next generation. So I've found there's a lot more willingness to collaborate among young adult pastors. That's so fun to think about. All right, question number two, Grant, is what insight can you give a young adult pastor or leader starting up a brand new ministry? 
Uh, starting off. I would say, I mean, I'm of course gonna always gonna talk about discipleship is uh, if you could build a core and a value around discipleship as like measure attendance and measure budget and giving, measure um, small groups, but make sure just to measure discipleship. If you don't measure it, um, we tend to measure whatever matters most. Wow. And if you don't measure it, I it's hard for me to say you care about it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so if you start measuring in the beginning, like how many, you don't want to, you shouldn't just know how many people show up to your event. You should know how many people the, are discipling throughout the week. Like right now, um, we don't, the church is struggling because, oh, how many people are watching online is now the new number because it's not yep. showing up. But do we know, are they actually making disciples? Because, you know, God didn't say, go and make sure people attend. He's going to say, go and make an audience. He said, go and make disciples or go and make viewers um, now. And so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, just build it around discipleship. If you make it, what we tend to do is we make it like, well, I'll do that. And then later we'll build into discipleship. You'll, no, you won't. Like once you make the culture, it is going to be very hard to turn that around. So start with discipleship. Uh, and I know a guy that did it and it freaking changed the world. His name's Jesus. And he started <laughs> with discipleship. And uh, yeah. we we're here because of that, not because of the 5,000. That's right. Amen. <clears throat> so flipping the script here, this is your curveball for the day. If you could flip the script and ask us one question, what would it be today? Uh, that's a good question. I think, I think it would be, uh, it's just random, just personal, 100% just for me. But if I want to get married soon which i mean it's not like i'm like not dating someone i am seriously dating. um it, would you did you think three years was a long a good amount of time to wait until having a kid or would you go sooner or wait longer um that's a great question i didn't say we'd answer it no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> we'll totally answer it we'll and also totally... maybe you made it wasn't your choice maybe it wasn't your choice maybe no it's so fun so fun um here's what we said all along through like the dating process engagement we asked real questions like mm -hmm. heart level conversations and we had talked about like the reality is we have a window of time that maybe we'll be yeah. able to have kids and so we just prayed like if we can have kids then let's have kids and if we can't then the next gen will be our kids but what i feel like it's it's a great like we said anywhere between two and five years mm -hmm. was kind of like yeah, yeah. We, we also wanted to build a foundation to bring a kid into yeah. so that like we know each other and we love each other yeah, and we're good. married right. before it's just like month one. Oh, what here we are no <laughs> grant how i would answer that is um i don't know your i don't know your age gap between you and the person that you're dating currently but um i'm five years older i'm than 30 she's 27 okay. okay so i'm five oh, okay. years older than josiah so my thing was like Dude, I'm five years older. I know that I like my body's on a time clock and trusting God. He's put this dream in my heart. Yeah. We don't have to have a kid tomorrow. So what we talked about in our dating was, Hey, you're number one. We're going to figure out who are we in marriage? Year two was who are we in ministry? Cause we knew in the dating process that I was called, he was called. How do we do that together? And how do we honor God in that? So you're going into year three is now like, okay, who are we as 
um, a married couple, we have that down, we have that foundation, we have the ministry that we're doing together, we have that clear vision. Now it's like, how are we going to do this as parents? So I think for us personally, we had to constantly surrender that to God and just say, okay, for the first two years, we know that God's asked us to do these two things. And we really wanted to get in cadence with the heart of Christ and the heart of each other. So I don't know. I think it's easier for a dad to be older or a male to be older than um, the sure. female in the relationship. So I felt more pressure. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, how much longer? I'm like, we want to have more than one. I want to be done by the time I'm 40. So keeping that in my mind and bringing forth that awareness to Josiah was important, but also I didn't want to like put unnecessary pressure or panic in God's plan or yeah. in our plan. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very thankful that we had waited um, and we won't know any other way. I think that's the thing. We won't know any other way. We won't know life without it. So great question. Okay. Back into the five. Ooh, it's back on you. Okay. Would you be willing to tell us one of your epic failures that you've experienced thus far in ministry or leadership or whatever, whatever way you want to go? Yeah. Um, two things would be one, um, and it's just, this is actually a passion. Actually, I should, would have been part of my passions was uh, getting young people to value the Sabbath um, and rest. Uh, it's so dumb is I'm, I couldn't be more different in just three years of three years ago. I would have been like, totally like, I literally would say this a lot. You can sleep when you die. Like, um, Hey, we got, there's only so much time, especially when you're single, just go all out. <clears throat> Your greatest commodity is time. Um, but it's so stupid. Like to, it's not like Sabbath thing is a recommendation. It is a literal command and it's not just law. It's actually for us. Um, literally like we're not for it. It's for us. And so, uh, I'm a big believer in it now. So the dumb thing I did was burn out at 28 years old. And so I'm saying yes to way too many things, doing so much things, uh, having a very cluttered life and probably soul because, uh, and all under the banner of for God. And so, I, uh, the burnout and breakdown led to reprioritizing my time, saying no to a lot more things, mm-hmm. um, and seeing God do way more with me doing less and me feeling more rested and better. Uh, the other thing is like the biggest, one of the biggest failures is I probably wasted two years and I'm still getting out of this, of somehow getting to a prideful place of almost feeling like I graduated needing God daily through scripture and discipline and prayer and all that. Like, cause I was leading so much and doing so much and seeing God actually, it's crazy how much God will do through you when you're not even spending daily time with God. That's almost uh, <laughs> I wish he didn't allow us to do that because then it would force us back to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, uh, yeah, I'm getting back into a rhythm of, I have spent too much. I don't want to say I've gone like months without ever reading scriptures, but it, it definitely, more time that I'm proud of there. I'm like, if I'm leading this much and pouring out this much, I need to get poured into actually more, not equal to, but more so that I can pour out this much and have something left over, not just emptied um, right. from an empty cup. And so those two have been really big. And I, I do think the mentality of our generation of like grind, hustle, change the world is um, at odds with like rest, Sabbath, God's gonna change the world while you're asleep. Um, and so learning that has been, has been big. And maybe it's because I'm getting older. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> definitely have learned the hard way. Wow. 
I love how just real and raw and transparent you are, man. Mm -hmm. And so if, if we could close on this note, if you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult ministry leaders one thing that you'd leave them with today, what would it be? I would see your ministry as a launching pad and not a holding tank. Mm -hmm. uh, the best college ministries I've seen actually aren't usually within churches. They're on campuses. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say that are the best in my opinion, because when you're a college pastor, as opposed to a college campus ministry, college campus ministries have zero expectation that they're going to keep these young leaders or yeah. young people that they're given. They have a hundred percent expectation they're going to lose them. And either you can see them as losing them or you can see them at, see it as launching them. Wow. And so most college campus ministry I know, no, at best I'm getting them for four years if I get them freshman year. But um, well, so what I have to do is I have them for a short bit, three, four years tops. What can I do to develop something in them that's going to remain with them for the rest of their life? I would see it as like, what pebbles are you going to put in their shoe that's going to just bother them for the rest of their life? Like these values. And it could, I would say, that's where I say Christ loving, city changing, church investing, disciple making, local missionary. If I can put a pebble in your shoe where you have a strong relationship with Christ for the rest of your life. And when you don't have it, it's like a pebble in your shoe. You're like, dang, I remember that season of my life. What I did was the best season of my life. I need to get back to that or your church. Dang, I haven't been in church since leaving college. And that's a pebble in my shoe because that was the best, uh, healthiest season of my life. And I think why things are going wrong is because I don't have strong relationship with Christ or a church or making disciples or being discipled. Um, and, and it's affecting who I am and or city uh, because like, or it's, I've got those things, but I'm not pouring it into those around me. And so um, th that would be my, my advice is, again, you're, you're not a holding tank, you're a launching pad. And it actually is relieving because then you're like, okay, yeah. my goal is not to build attendance. My goal is I'll, whether I have 10 people or I have 10,000 people, my goal is, William Carey said, we don't measure success by our seating capacity. We measure success by our sending capacity. Amazing. And so now it's a way bigger goal and better goal. The playground is so much bigger for me. If the playground is just get people as much as possible for the next four years of my ministry and just keep getting more and just keep getting more. I got so bored with that so quick, but if it's, how do I change the human trafficking in, in my city and how do I change the marketplace in my city and how do I change the medical industry in my city? And now I have these people college kids that are going into those industries right i want to change if the city's your playground that's fun that's big if your church attendance and your how many people are coming to listen to me or now how many people are coming to watch me online my opinion that's so boring and and i can see why young people don't want to be a part of church if that's what we're going to make church but if we're going to make it hey how do we train you to go change and train the world that's pretty legit that's a pretty big mission that's going to take a lifetime I love it. Oh, man, and, and the beauty of ending on that note is the world is our playground. The sky's the it limit. Mm -hmm. And so we want to inspire you guys to dream big, and we believe in you a ton. And so, Grant, man, thanks for taking time on a busy week, a busy week, busy day to just chat with us and join our audience. Yeah. And listeners, you can find out more about Grant Skelvin, the Initiative Network, and the Passion Generation when you connect with us on our website, youngadults.today. Thanks so much for listening.
Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.